Well, we're going to sing this short doxology, which I think most of us know. It's praise God from whom all blessings flow. We'll hear the opening line and we'll sing it together as a Trinitarian anthem of praise to God. we're going to turn to Isaiah chapter 26, Isaiah chapter 26, the title of sermon is a a song of Judah, let me turn there myself as well, Isaiah 26, and let's pray before we uh, turn to the word of God. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks as we're on the threshold of, of hearing from your holy word in Isaiah 26. Would you, would you unfold the word of God to us? Would you feed us your sheep and would you strengthen us? And we also want to give you thanks as well, Almighty God, for your abundant provision to us in this chapel and in this church and the blessing that we have to give to you as well. We We bow down and worship you, O Lord, the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. But you're so gracious to help us in the church of God for the spread of the gospel. So bless us now, we pray, as we come to the word of God from Isaiah. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, Isaiah chapter 26. I'll read it first of all. It's not a long chapter. But it's a fresh turning point for us, really this fresh joy here. It's a song. Because don't forget, we've been going from chapter to chapter with these oracles. An oracle concerning this one, an oracle concerning that. All judgments, which is all part of the Word of God. But now God says, I'm going to do something among the people of God, and this will be your song. So let's hear Isaiah 26. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. He sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter in. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. For he has humbled the inhabitants of the height, the lofty city. He lays it low, lays it low to the ground, casts it to the dust. The foot tramples it, the feet of the poor, the steps of the needy. The path of the righteous is level. You make level the way of the righteous. In the path of your judgments, O Lord, we wait for you. Your name and remembrance are the desire of our soul. 
My soul yearns for you in the night. My spirit within me earnestly seeks you. For when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. If favor is shown to the wicked, he does not learn righteousness. In the land of uprightness, he deals corruptly. He does not see the majesty of the Lord. O Lord, your hand is lifted up, but they do not see it. Let them see your zeal for your people and be ashamed. Let the fire of your adversaries consume them. O Lord, you will ordain peace for us, for you have indeed done for us all our works. O Lord, our God, other lords beside you have ruled over us. But your name alone we bring to remembrance. They are dead, they will not live. They are shades, they will not arise. To that end you have visited them with destruction and wiped out all remembrance of them. But you have increased the nation, O Lord. You have increased the nation. You are glorified. You have enlarged all the borders of the land. O Lord, in distress they sought you. They poured out a whispered prayer when your discipline was upon them, like a pregnant woman who writhes and cries out in her pangs when she is near to giving birth. So were we because of you, O Lord. We were pregnant, we writhed, but we have given birth to wind. We have accomplished no deliverance in the earth, and the inhabitants of the world have not fallen. Your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. For your dew is a dew of light, and the earth will give birth to the dead. Come, my people, enter your chambers and shut your doors behind you. Hide yourselves for a little while until the fury has passed by. For, behold, the Lord is coming out from his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity, and the earth will disclose the blood shed on it, and will no more cover its slain. Well, as we got to this chapter, it's a song of Judah. And I think, let's think about Christ before we begin anywhere tonight. Because what we're going to learn tonight is about this song that God is going to put in the mouth of the church but really each of the points that we're going to bring out all refer to christ as the god man as well the one who was and is the second person of trinity who clothed himself in flesh our headings for us tonight there's three headings heading number one is the path of singing heading number two is the path of waiting and heading number three is the path of peace. And indeed, when we think about Christ, God put the path of singing before him as the God man. As every time he would go up to the feast in Jerusalem, they would be singing these psalms, these songs of ascent, of going up to worship God in Jerusalem. We remember on one occasion, his mum and dad actually left and, and left without him. He was, remained in Jerusalem wanting to be uh, with the 
elders there to learn more about the Word of God. But not only did Christ uh, learn the path of singing as the God-man, he also learned as well uh, the path of waiting. Have you ever thought about that for Christ? That for 30 years he would walk past blind men and did nothing for them. Um, I'm not saying he didn't have a natural compassion. We don't know. But he, he walked past blind people and crippled people and lame, knowing that one day that he would heal them as the Father would show him, but not until that time. So he had 30 years of waiting. And then also the path of peace. And as we think about Christ, who is the Prince of Peace, uh, he walked on that path of peace even though the path of peace led up a hill called Golgotha, where he died on a tree. But that was to purchase peace for us. Not simply peace that we have a good day, there is the fruit of peace, but first and foremost, peace with God, purchased by Christ. What a, what a wonderful Savior we have. So, in this sermon, we're very thankful. It begins in 26 verse 1. And in that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. This song will be sung in the land of Judah. We've heard many judgments uh, in the chapters before, sermons that Isaiah would preach, but uh, that it included judgments not only for nations far off, but for Judah as well as Israel. But here is a promise of restoration. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. What does Judah mean? Judah itself, and Christ came through the tribe of Judah, Judah itself means praise. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah, the land of praise. And, and then we, I'm trying to jump too far ahead, but heaven will be a place of praise. What a wonderful thing to contemplate. I'm sure there'll be more than singing, but it won't be less than singing and the worship of the triune God. And so, as we think about this sermon in Isaiah chapter 26, it's surely a good place to be reminded that the Bible is one book. There's one Savior. There's one Lord. And so we're brought to that same truth in 26, 1 to 4, it goes on and says, we have a, and this is a song that God says, he's going to put in the people's mouths. We have a strong city. He sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter in. In verse 3, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Isn't that wonderful? Tonight as we're here worshiping God, God is invisible in this chapel. We cannot see him. But it says here, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Or let's say it differently, for the Lord God is an eternal rock. How can a spirit that's invisible be at the same time a rock? Well, it's not literally a rock. It's better than a rock. It's God cannot be shaken. And it says here, trust in the Lord forever. 
So let's be exhorted and, and, and encouraged to trust in the Lord forever. As I've said, those four headings for us, the, the path of singing, uh, the path of waiting, the path of peace. And so let's look at the first heading, first of all, the path of singing. Now, we've just said already, he says, in that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. And then this song is laid out for us. And have you ever really considered the spiritual value of singing? Have you ever thought about that? Uh, just in a, in a general sense, God has created uh, us as human beings to sing. Just like he's created birds to sing. You ever heard the morning chorus? They can really chirp away the birds. God's put a song in their mouths, but he's put a song in the mouths of human beings. But further for the people of God, have you ever thought, uh, why do the people, why do we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs? We've already sung there this evening. It's a great blessing to our soul. Uh, it's a means ordained by our uh, creator and the sustainer of our souls. Before we think about some of the blessings here, we want just to focus on this, the path of singing and what that can do for us. Because God has designed us that way. And he doesn't say here, in that day, I will simply do this. It says, in that day, this song will be sung. And so singing really helps to cement our minds or the minds of the church on the character of God. Singing actually builds unity. Singing builds unity. Singing strengthens the church's faith, at least if we sing biblical truth. Um, singing increases our resilience in times of trouble. Singing is like a map to use with a compass, uh, and the compass points to true north, and true north is pointing to the living God. And so what we learn here, God's going to put this song so that the church will sing. And though singing is not mentioned a lot by the apostles in their writings, it's clearly been practiced by the church for thousands of years. And again, the church existed before Pentecost. But Pentecost meant the church was renewed by the power of of the Holy Spirit and as we've been looking at the book of Acts we see how things extended and we we even know of a time in the book of Acts chapter 16 I think it is uh, when Paul and Silas are in prison and at midnight what do they do they start singing praise to God that's not what you normally do in prison at midnight but God put a song in their mouths and in Ephesians we we learn that it says be filled with the Spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Notice that phrase there. It says addressing one another. So singing, there's a vertical component that we sing praise to God, 
but also there's a horizontal component that we we hear the song from a brother over here from a sister over there and we hear the truth of god coming out of their mouths and it and it strengthens the church together as we sing truth uh, to one another in ephesians we've just read but also paul writes to another church he says and be thankful let the word of christ dwelling you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to god and whatever you do in word or deed do everything in the name of the lord jesus giving thanks to god the father through him so we can sing in the church but we, we can also sing alone as well uh, we can sing in families in family worship in fact i would say a family I'm talking about Christianity now and singing biblical songs, but a family singing together, it builds faith and love for Christ. Now, John Calvin, um, he commented about singing, and he said this uh, in his commentary in the book of Hebrews. John Calvin says, Christ leads our songs and is the chief composer of our hymns. And again, in commenting on the Psalms, John Calvin writes, uh, you know, he's a conservative man, John Calvin. You know, he was not given to excessive emotions. But listen to what he writes here. He says, we only praise God aright when we are filled and overwhelmed with an ecstatic admiration of the immensity of his power. Let me just read that one more time because I think there's a John Cal there's something there for us. John Calvin writes in commenting on the Psalms, we only praise God aright when we are filled and overwhelmed with an ecstatic admiration of the immensity of his power. Boy. I think, have I ever really sung praise to God when I read a song, like, read a comment like that? But it's really intended to uh, fill us with an ecstatic joy that God's power. Singing is something God has ordained for us. But as we move on from just beginning to look about singing, that God says, in that day this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. He sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks open the gates that the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter him you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you trust in the lord forever for the lord god is an everlasting rock and god is predicting here this song will be in the mouth of the church a revived church so that's the path of singing, but the whole chapter deals with this song. But let's look on a bit further. The path of waiting, the path of waiting. Chapter 26 and verse 8, what do we find there? Well, 7 and 8. In verse 7, it says, The path of the righteous is level. You make level the way of the righteous. In the path of your judgments... Oh Lord, we wait for you. Your name and remembrance are the desire 
of our soul. My soul yearns for you in the night. My spirit within me earnestly seeks you. But look at the verse 8. It says, O Lord, we wait for you. O Lord, we wait for you. And so our second heading is the path of waiting. We're moving on from singing now to this other theme here in verse 8, the path of waiting. And waiting upon the Lord or waiting for the Lord is actually one of the great themes of the Bible. In fact, waiting for the Lord and waiting upon the Lord is a subject that is too little spoken of. And we don't spend, I believe, enough time considering its importance. We learn a lot from the life of Abraham, don't we, how we learn that it was through faith and patience that he inherited the promises. And we can learn a lot there through faith and patience that he inherited the promises. And so that pattern, this pattern of waiting upon the Lord is set out for the church in every generation from generation to generation. A new generation are born. There are the covenant children who are grafted into the church or people are brought in from the outside. And the path is the same and will continue to be until Jesus returns. In fact, the path of waiting is still there for us, waiting for the return of Christ. I remember as a very new Christian Oh, I don't know, I'm losing track of time, but it was at least 30 years ago, and I remember in a prayer meeting, and, and this older man, you know, every prayer meeting, you know, he would stand up and, and, uh, and pray and say, oh, come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus. And as a young Christian, I thought, is this man not happy? Is he not, uh, you know, does he not enjoy life? Why is he praying like this every week? Come Lord Jesus. And, uh, but the fact is, Jesus will come, and that was many years ago, and Jesus has not come yet, but he will come. He will come. And we're to wait for him patiently. Now, there's a wonderful promise here on this path of waiting. It says in verse 7, the path of the righteous is level. So in this path of waiting upon the Lord throughout our whole lives as we walk the Christian pilgrimage, we're encouraged that the path of the righteous is level, but I'm sure you'll agree, it doesn't feel level at all times. But let me just read it again. It says, the path of the righteous is level. And that truth is unchanging. It's not the circumstances around us that are level, but it's the Lord's path that is level. Truth doesn't change, and therefore the Lord is to be our refuge in every generation. And Isaiah goes on to preach here in these verses. In verse 8, in the path of your judgments, O Lord, we wait for you. Your name and remembrance are the desire of our soul. What's the desire of your soul tonight? Is it what we have here in this song of Judah? 
O oh Lord, we wait for you. Your name and remembrance are the desire of our soul. And waiting for the Lord, waiting upon the Lord, is intended to increase our spiritual appetite and hunger for the Lord. So if we honestly examine ourselves and ask ourselves, are we, are we earnestly seeking the Lord, that waiting upon the Lord is far more than patience, but it certainly includes patience. Waiting upon the Lord is kind of passive, but it's active as well. And let's look at somewhere else in Scripture to shed some light on this. Psalm 130, verses 5 and 6, has important words for us. What do we learn? The psalm says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchman for the morning more than watchman for the morning. Then we move on to Psalm 131. What do we learn there? It's got equally valuable words for us again. It says this, But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Now we're in Isaiah 26, aren't we? And I don't need to tell you about the famous waiting verse in Isaiah. Some of you may even have it on a poster in your house. You may have it on a fridge door, a fridge magnet. Uh, well, not on a fridge door, but a poster on the door of the fridge. Isaiah chapter 40. What does, we get, what does it say there? It says, He gives power to the faint and to him who has no might. He increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. What a beautiful verse. I mean... We don't get many eagles in our part of the world, do we? They're really mountain birds. I think you do get them in certain parts of Scotland, but they're some of the most majestic birds with beautiful wings and, and can just spread the wings and begin to circle above and almost effortlessly. And it says in the Word of God, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And maybe you're feeling for yourself, you're feeling maybe you're in a path of waiting right now. Well, the whole Christian pilgrimage is really a path of waiting. It's just more intense on a personal level, at sometimes more than others. But let's learn from the Word of God as we've learned tonight about this song of Judah, about the path of singing and then the path of waiting. But thirdly and lastly, as we move on, it's the path of peace as well. The path of peace, we've already read in verse 7, the path of the righteous is level, 
you make level the way of the righteous. In the path of your judgments, O Lord, we wait for you. But if we go back to verse 3, you remember what it said in verse 3? It's one of the great peace promises in the Bible. Some of you may have memorized it. It says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And you've got a repetition there. You will keep him in perfect peace. And the way you say that in Hebrew there is by repeating the Hebrew word for peace twice, which doesn't quite translate in the same way in English, but it's a, a repetition to underline, to emphasize. You will keep him in shalom, shalom. Shalom is the Hebrew word for peace. You will keep him in shalom, shalom, it says, whose mind is stayed on you. And our third heading is this path of peace, which God promises for the people of God. But if you look in verse 7, as we've said, the path of the righteous is level. You may level the way of the righteous, but if you look also in verse 12, it again repeats this. O oh Lord, you will ordain peace for us. For you have indeed done for us all our work. Let me just repeat that one more time. It says, O oh Lord, this is a song of Judah. So, uh, the church are intended to be singing this. Oh, Lord. I'm not going to start singing. But, uh, oh, Lord, you will ordain peace for us. So it's the Lord who will do it. It's not that you do it for yourself, which is exactly what Romans 9 is about. It says, oh, Lord, you will ordain peace for us. For you have indeed done for us all our works. And in heaven, heaven will be a perfect place of peace. But this is a song of Judah for the church here and now in this world for the church to experience peace. What a wonderful thing it is to know that the path of the righteous is, is level and it's a path of peace. And in verse 12, uh, we've got this, O oh Lord, you will ordain peace for us. But the psalmist, not, it's not the psalmist, but in Isaiah, it says also uh, in verse 9, my soul yearns for you in the night. My spirit within me earnestly seeks you. So Isaiah 26 is a song, and it's a wonderful song of, of reviving and of restoration of what God does for the people of God. Um, there are similar words of this path of peace found in the book of Proverbs. It says in Proverbs 3.17, maybe some of you know that verse, it says, Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. Psalm 122 is a classic psalm. But actually, when you go back and read Psalm 122, we've got the same as in Isaiah here. It's, it repeats the promise of peace. We learn in Psalm 122, verse 6, 
pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is representing the church there. We're to pray for the peace of the church. May they be secure who love you. A little bit further on in Psalm 122, it says the same psalm. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. It goes on again. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you for the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. Well, it's been brief tonight to look at these headings from this song of Judah, the path of singing, the path of waiting, and the path of peace. But as we close tonight, thinking of Christ again, our wonderful Savior. And one word that has to come to our minds when we think of Christ has to be peace. As we go back to Isaiah, we have the prophecy in chapter 9, which you'll be familiar to us. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And again, as we close this evening and we think about the resurrection of Jesus, remember how he was risen from the dead and on that first, well, Lord's Day, we call it a Sunday today, but it was the first Lord's Day, the first day of the week, and Jesus appeared to his disciples. And what does Jesus do? He came and stood among his disciples and said to them this, Peace be with you. Can you imagine? Peace be with you. Could have said anything. The, the Prince of Peace ministers peace to his disciples. So Christ is most wonderfully suited to minister peace to the church and to individuals. And here are two promises for us. It says in Romans 15, 13, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. And what about Romans 15, 33? Paul writes this, May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. And on that note, we'll close. Giving thanks to God for the, for the ground we've covered tonight. And may God use his word to minister the balm of Gilead upon our souls. To minister peace into our hearts and minds.